Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how not to be an asshole at work. You'll learn about bad bosses, how they can be detected and handled, as well as how to tell if you happen to be one. Join an executive and an executive coach, both artists working in marketing and advertising for over two decades, who are here to offer you the ultimate guide on how to navigate any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I'm Stephanie Payrollo. And I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And today we are at episode 20, 20. And today we're going to talk about the bull in the china shop, boss. <laughs> this is great. This is, have you ever seen a bull in a china shop? I actually, in, the internet has provided ample opportunities to see bulls who have somehow wandered in to places of business. And uh, it is pretty impressive. Well, and it's actually, I liked the analogy because when I was thinking about it and kind of writing up notes for this, it's like, mm. you know, a bull has no business being in a china shop. And when it gets yeah. in there, it's just going to freak out and, you know, break crockery. And yeah. the, the point here is, what do you do with leaders who don't read the room, don't understand what the impact is. And this is actually something that was sent in um, from a listener. So thank you very much. And Mm -hmm. I'll read the question. I have a boss who cannot read the room. He is truly a bull in a china shop and pissed off our most senior client so much that the client was openly rude to him in meetings. Yet my boss never mended his ways. On a sensitive conference call, he accused our day-to-day client of not doing her job. Thinking he was helping our team when really we had to clean up the mess he made after the call. What can I do? Hmm. What do you think? My God. My God. That, you know, I, I've seen there was a guy, let's just call him Colby. And Colby uh, had the, the unique distinction of having his father uh, play golf with the head of a pretty major law firm in California at one time, Brobeck, Flager, and Harrison. And he had been... Peter principled up into a position he never should have been in. But lawyers are ruthless this way. That guy had a couple of chances, which he's naturally screwed up, before he was put out to pasture in the nicest way possible. So <laughs> lawyers are not screwing with their paychecks at, at all. Um, if you do not have that kind of oversight, if your boss is truly a boss that has no boss, you're in trouble. I suggest you look for a new job. I mean, that's horrible. It's a horrible place to be. Well, and I think what's interesting is you you bring up a really good point, which is the thing that I thought about for this person, is if if money is on the line, you may have some leverage. Yes. Right. So this is clearly a client service organization, right? Whether it's law or, you know, advertising or whatever. And a client who is senior, who controls a lot of money, is going to be treated like royalty. And anyone who doesn't yep. treat that client like royalty, it's going to be problematic. And so what I would suggest to this person is if there is a boss of your boss, if there is anybody that's responsible for finance, you can go straight to the CFO with something like this and say, look, our um, relationship with this client is in jeopardy because of how this boss is behaving and the revenue is in jeopardy. I mean, it's nothing for clients to pull whatever their business is and take it to your competition. So I think in this case, I think in this case, there is the obvious, like, you know, let's, let's, 
check the money. But I think that the reason that I thought this would be good for an entire show, as opposed to just the sub Rosa, which is our little advice, um, shorter segments is I think there's a lot to unpack here because I think that there are bosses who don't necessarily read the room, who maybe kind of put their foot in it, who aren't really, um, as politically savvy as one might hope, who are still fundamentally good actors. Right, 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 right. 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 You could be you could could be overmatched by the job, but not be an ass. Right. 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 And I think the dynamic here is that that um, this person is describing and I'm just guessing that this is a woman that's writing in the thing. What she's describing is a male boss talking to a senior female client in a way that's clearly sexist, clearly sexist. And, And I think that a lot of times this notion of. Well, you know, he's just a little rough around the edges or he doesn't play the political game, but he's so creative or he's such a good individual contributor. Whatever the narrative is, mm-hmm. allows a lot of people to get away with bad behavior that isn't about them not reading a room. It's in this case, this guy's a sexist, right? Yeah. He's he's telling a woman in a, in a client meeting in a group that she doesn't know her job. There's yeah. that's not that's not not reading the room. Right? That's that's he shouldn't even be allowed in the China shop. You, you know, the, I, I was in a situation um, and I, I, I won't mention the situation. Uh, I, I'm usually pretty revelatory in this instance. I won't. Um, somebody had been, been been brought in over me and um, was woefully, you know, it was overmatched by the job. And I thought, well, I could do two things here. Um, I could go over his head to the VP and say, the guy is destroying the business and you need to get rid of him. In which case I might find myself on the outs or I could do, you know, the scorched earth thing, which is what I did and go and say, you know what? You guys don't need me. (laughs) You don't need me. You got this guy. It seems like he knows what he's doing. I'm going to leave. And uh, in in a great burst of reverse psychology, they go, well, why? Why do you think? And I listed all the things I would have had I complained. And these were, of course, horrible, actionable, legal things that he was doing that were, he would get the company sued. But I just said, yeah, you know, it seems like he's having these meetings with a certain segment of the, of, of, of the employee group. You know, he might be a homophobe, but, you know, this is, he's just old school that way. But in any case, you know, you don't need me in the mix as well. And they fired his ass. <laughs> it, it, it took it took that if you if Eugene is willing to sacrifice himself because he cares about the publication so much and he can't be here. Maybe we should look at it. And of course, they looked at all the actionable stuff he did and they let him go. So. But see, again, what you have is a lever and the lever yeah. is financial. In this case, how do you not get sued? How does the organization not get sued? And I think right. the challenge is, is when you have somebody like this who is um, not doing something that is going to lose a client or be as obvious as, you know, so as to bring somebody could bring suit. Right. So mm-hmm. think about somebody who's complaining a lot about the fact that all these people are taking time off for mm-hmm. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but yet doesn't uh, say anything about people taking time off for Easter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right? And so, <laughs> right. so how is that, you know, like I would look at that and think, is there some anti-Semitism that's operating here, but mm-hmm. there could be excuses. And And that's where I think it's hard to sort of parse this stuff, right? Because I think, I mean, you know, part of the challenge, you mentioned something like he's old school, 
right? And that's something that people used to say when I was coming up, right? They'd be like, well, you know, he's an older, he's different generation. Well, you know what? Now we are the older generation. And I feel like when I was writing this, the the first um, kind of draft of this as I was putting it together in the notes, it was called Mm -hmm. the tone deaf boss. Mm -hmm. Because 10, 15 years ago, I could use the phrase tone deaf and we had not evolved as, you know, a people to think, Mm -hmm. you know what? Using a phrase that stigmatizes people who have different abilities, people who have hearing problems, we don't say blind drunk, we don't say tone yep. deaf, let's be a little yep. bit more intentional to using language. Yep. That took me a minute, well, right? But yep. that's no excuse. My age is no excuse for me to put a podcast out and, and use a phrase that is not helpful, not appropriate, and better to be not used, right? So now that I am in the older generation, I reject the older generation argument as an excuse for these people. I I love the way I've had to police my language. Actually, in fact, a friend of mine got me to stop saying motherfucker. He goes, "Uh, have you had sex with mothers? I go, yep. And he's like, was it good? I go, yeah. He was like, okay, stop using it. Yeah, no, nobody uses father fuck. We got went down a weird road there. So yeah, I was glad to police my language a little bit. I like to change in language, so. Yeah, and I think that the idea that we need to evolve, we need to see things in a new way, and the fact that Mm -hmm. it might be uncomfortable for leaders, for people who are older. I mean, I have this conversation all the time with with older people who are like, why should I learn new pronouns, right? Or they'll try to argue about what, and it's like, no, 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 that's not, we're not, we're not doing yep. that. Like this yep. is what makes more people. You know, it's funny because my granddaughter, who's all of four, she mm-hmm. very seriously was like, "Why do we say please and thank you? Like, why? What's the right. reason?" Right. You know, and she had this like intent little look, and I was like, "Well, yep. because generally the people that are doing things for you, like your parents and your family, they work hard, and it makes them feel better if you if you acknowledge what they're doing." Yep. And it, yep. it just, it makes them happy to have you acknowledge it. And you know yep. what? Ever since then, she was over here yesterday. It was please and thank you every other word, right? That's great. Because That's there was great. a reason for it. It's like, oh, I am making right. the people around me feel better. And I feel like that's where we should all be. It's like if there's a, if there's a change in, in usage of language, if there's something that we're doing differently, we should welcome it because it makes people feel better. We'll just move ahead. Okay, no, um, so you said, you said it made people, she's pleased to thank you. It made people totally happy. Yeah, so I think that the idea is like, I would like us as adults, as working people to have that be enough of a rationale mm-hmm. that it makes a group of people with whom you interact regularly feel more comfortable for you to use or stop using a particular phrase. That 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 should be a good enough reason, but it's really not. And I think... One of the challenges, too, is that now in certain parts of the country, there's a lot of political and kind of social yeah. energy around yeah. cancel culture or we have yeah. to be woke. Jesus. Yep. And, yep. So, and so I think that puts people who are working, particularly people who don't have a lot of power, at more of a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So, that, so then how, how are we dealing with the, the bull in the China shop boss? Because clearly it, it, nobody's had any luck. Uh, negotiating with bulls in my experience. So, I mean, I think the practical things are if, as we said earlier, you can point to a specific business Mm -hmm. ill 
that mm-hmm. this person's ongoing behavior is mm-hmm. exposing the organization to, then do that, right? Whether it's somebody's going to get sued, we're going to lose valuable staff, we're right. not going to be able to get new clients, we're going to get bad publicity. There's a lot of ways in which you can show this kind of behavior being mm-hmm. negative, right, to mm-hmm. the bottom line. Um mm-hmm. If it's not negative to the bottom line, then I think you have a challenge. You can go to HR, but there's always a risk in doing that. There's also a risk if you are at a more conservative uh, part of the country or if you're in a more conservative organization that you're going to be kind of labeled as one of those woke canceling people. And that could actually harm your ability to be at the job. So I think, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? But that's, you're speaking to the person's query, which is a very specific sort of question, but there are lots of uh, uh, bull. I mean, there are people who are stumbling through life, um, (laughs) stomping on everything in their path. Um, so the bull in the china shop metaphor, I, I've had a number of different bosses like that. And especially when you deal with Silicon Valley, it's an unkind generalization. But if you have, you know, engineer types who are maybe not the greatest people, uh, uh, people, people, um, this kind of stuff, just bad jokes, kludgy jokes, not necessarily sexist, just weird, off-putting stuff that happens day in and day out. Um, you know, it, it really it, it wears on you. I'll give you a, a prime example. Uh, a boss at a company where I was uh, was talking to one of the employees who said, uh, I just got back from Burning Man. Plenty of people in the Bay Area, psychotically into Burning Man. And she's talking about it in a very general way about, you know, how great it was and how much fun she had. And, you know, it was hot. And, you know, you wear very few clothes and it's just not. And he drills, the, he hears a no clothes thing. He focuses on it and drills down and says, hey, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to see some of those pictures of you like that. <laughs> and she stopped. And it, yeah, it was part of her narrative, but he zeroed in on that. Um, I mean, the guy was just clumsy. He was clumsy. Didn't make a difference. And I was glad it didn't make a difference. She went to uh, HR and she went to the boss, the VP, and dude got called on the carpet and had to take classes after that, which made me really really happy because you should you should have seen that coming the second they start talking about burning man as a as a male manager you should have immediately started thinking i need to get back to work <laughs> i need this conversation to stop you know right. you gotta be so um was he a bull in a china shop yeah could you stop him he didn't even know he was breaking stuff so yeah it's well, a, it's a, you know like it comes back to this idea too of like what is the intention is this just Correct. somebody who is, you know, like telling dad jokes that aren't funny and, you know, no. but I think one of the challenges, and I see this more and more, is the impunity with which these bad offenders get, I and mean, they just, they get away with stuff, yeah. you know? And yeah. it was interesting because a friend of mine was talking to me about um, something where a group of rich, white, high school athletes mm-hmm. um, were using a racial slur mm-hmm. to refer to kids on an opposite team. Mm-hmm. They're still at school. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and I thought to myself, this is, they start learning really early. Yeah. If you're white, if your parents are rich, if you're going to a fancy school and you have, you know, you're significantly talented, you're the captain of the football team or whatever, impunity is built in. 
You can do just about whatever you want. And sure, there are occasionally people who do get caught, who do are held accountable, but it starts really early. And that's the part that's creepy to me. Right. And so I think I think with the bull in this China shop, the idea is like, is this somebody who's just are they clumsy or are they malicious? Right. Right. Is it is it saying the wrong person's name or saying something that, you know, is just kind of a little bit irritating or are they, you know, using a racial slur? Right. I mean, a lot of times it's and I think to to call clumsy, clumsy and call sexist, racist, entitled white guy. What it is and name it. You can you can call them clumsy. You you can't call them malicious, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And don't use that as an excuse. So um, I was going to start with something else, but just let's do fire. Let's do fire me. I was coming up with a segue, and there were so many because I saw the video. So let's do let's do fire me. (laughs) Okay. So many of you who many you may not know, I suggest you go to Google and type in O Z Y Ozzy scandal. And you'll get a whole earful, eyeful of of what I had dealt with for about 10 years. Um, So the Fire Me segment this week features uh, my former uh, boss and CEO of OZY, Ozzy, Carlos Watson, who uh, uh, today released a video um, uh, apropos of Scamfluencers. It's a podcast. Scamfluencers had a piece on Monday about uh, on the two year anniversary of him being outed as being a financial fraudster and then subsequently being arrested for it and now looking at trial sometime in 2024, came out with, has has rejiggered the Aussie website, Aussie.com, along the lines of uh, a defense site where he claims that um, it's a derivation of Jesus' speech. Uh, you, without sin, cast the first stone. Yet, this is not about whether I'm guilty or not. It's about who we choose to find guilty. He's apparently started a website called Too Black for Business, and he's making the claim that the Brooklyn DA, where he was arrested, uh, where he's he ties in gentrification, he ties in uh, uh, the racial makeup, even though the person who led the investigation is African-American, uh, as, he, as he is himself. Uh, um, it ties it into the number of prosecutions of white criminals versus black criminals and the man who has never had time for race in his entire life in his time at Goldman Sachs or McKinsey or, or, you know, at Harvard or Stanford is now suddenly super Negro. And he is making the claim that he is being held down by the man and that the 37 year uh, sentence he's looking at if he loses uh, in court is uh, disproportionate to what he's done, which is to steal you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So, so, so that, 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 that is, that is my fiery. And and it seems to me, I understand somebody trying to, to, I understand if you're facing a 37 year sentence, 37 year sent, prison sentence, and you're looking at Elizabeth Holmes who got like a, an 11 year sentence, you're thinking like, Hey, whoa, Hey, what, you know, what the, I can understand all that, but what I don't understand is a failure to understand what I believe is the sole reason that this person is there. He said, I'm here because uh, the system is biased. I'm here because racists run the DA's office, that the uh, Justice Department is full of racists, and that's why I'm here. And you're almost right. You're there for a very singular reason. You are there 
because everybody steals. You're right. Everybody steals. There's financial chicanery all along the line. But you were there for one reason and one reason only, because you were a terrible boss. That's it. When the Justice Department flies out, when they send people from the Eastern District and they fly them out to California and they, they interview employee after employee after employee, 10, 12, 15 employees who talk about what kind of monster you are, they go, easy prosecution. Who would stand, who would stand against this guy and who would stand for him? It's nobody. You're isolated. So this is finally we get to see some sort of karmic leveling where horrible bosses are called into account. I guarantee you, if you interview 30 people and they go, this guy is a salt of the earth. This guy, he, he walks on water. I love this guy. I love it. They slow walk that then because it's like, wow, the guy seems like a good guy. Maybe he just screwed up. Nobody spoke in this guy's defense. So unfortunately, you know, the lesson that he should glean from it is not one that he's going to glean from it. But this is, you know, a prime example of, you know, a, one who aggressively misunderstands their role and participation in, in the boss process and uh, fundamentally has missed that they're being punished for being a lousy human being. So. Well, and also they did do things that were fraudulent. Aggressively fraudulent. So, I mean, let's just, let's, I mean, and you worked there. I worked there very Correct. short period of time, right? So we're not making this up. Correct. I mean, and, and I think what's interesting is, so in the video, which is actually running on LinkedIn, I opened up LinkedIn today and there was Carlos. He is a very persuasive speaker. Um, I'm sure he had some professional help in writing this and putting this together. And he talks a lot about how bad the numbers are for African-American entrepreneurs. Right? Like it's I think it's like one percent of Correct. investments in venture capital go goes to black founders. Mm -hmm. That is true. It has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he lied his face off. Right, right. And, and that number is going to get lower with stunts like this, actually, you know. So, yeah. yeah. And let me tell you something else, something else I've not revealed to anybody. And this is the first on this show, talking to the former chairwoman of the board who is not pay, who's lost a lot of money, not paid attention since this whole thing has blown up. When when he went live with that first time to black for business uh, dot org, she was enraged, enraged enraged. She goes, this guy had, you know, his pockets full of wealthy, well-meaning white folks who were stumbling over themselves to give him money. And, and, and this is the card he's playing. She was really angry and disappointed. Right. So. Well, and that was really what his positioning was, yeah. right? Like, like he was going to, he was the, the magical, the magical Negro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and you can invite me to your house. I can be in the boardroom. I'm going to be the one that you can give the money to. And he had no shortage of investors. Yes. Yes. Ever yes. at any point. So yep. those those numbers didn't work against him. But yep. again, it's the and, and I wonder, I mean, I'm looking at that. Like, do you think he believes this or is he just so cynical that he's following through on this? because He thinks it's going to work. I think 37 years in prison maybe straightens you up in a way that, that, that's, you know, I mean, we're not messing around. It would, if somebody says 37 years, the joke time is over. And especially with your co-defendants, the two have pled out, you know, they pled out. They said, yeah, I, we did it. We're guilty, you know. So um, their emails, their actual text, you know, this is the only card to play. I, I we, 
I mean, what you can't, what criminal trial proceeds for the point of, yeah, but, yeah, I stole that money, but I was hungry. I, yeah, yeah, I, there's no, there's no, yeah, but, you know, so, I mean, I'm, you know, I use that defense to beat a parking ticket, <laughs> right? I actually got the number of stops in Fremont, in, in uh, 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 Foster City. And, and I said, you know, and I did a survey, got the survey and how, and I go, look, my car is black and yellow. It patches a primer. It sticks out anyway. I'm not saying it's racially motivated, but I'm saying, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I got 30 stops in 30 days. This is crazy. And they threw it out, <laughs> but this is a speeding ticket. <laughs> this is not and you weren't, million dollars of fraud. You know? And you weren't saying that you weren't speeding. Correct. Correct. And I think that's the fundamental thing. Like Carlos lists all these things out, but he doesn't say, at least in my you know cursory glance at this through kind of like, oh my God, looking through my hands, he doesn't say he didn't do it. Right. right. He doesn't say he's innocent. Right. And you know, so the idea of like, like that's, yeah. So I think that's where it, it you are not lying about speeding. You're saying right. there's a context, right? Right, he's, right. Not even trying to let, yeah, it's just. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's mind blowing. But the case, what I'm trying to do personally is to find somebody who's willing, some publication that's willing to pay for me to cover the trial. So that'll be, I'll bring my journalistic. <laughs> Can you imagine Carlos walking in and seeing you in the back of the courtroom? Like that just, yeah. That's going to be really enjoyable. So in any case, but wow. uh, that's my, that, that's my fire music. Okay. And you know what? It was, it's interesting. I, you know, this isn't really a fire me, but this was just so horrible to me. I wanted to, you know, I mean, oh. there's insensitive and then there's this. So the fire me that I have happened in Seattle and yeah. in, um, in January, a 23 year old graduate student from India named Janavi Kandula, I think I'm saying her name right, um, was getting her master's degree in user experience, right? So she's in Seattle and she's crossing the street in a crosswalk. And a police officer named Kevin Dane was responding to an emergency call, lights and sirens, and he hit her with his car and she died. That's a tragedy. There was another police officer who happens to be a vice president of the police union, a guy named Daniel Arderer. He was talking on the phone and he didn't think to turn his body camera off. And there is audio of him and I listened to it and it is chilling because he laughs with this like really full throated belly laugh. And he says, she's dead. He laughs. It's a regular person. Just write a check. 11,000. She was 26. She had limited value. Yeah. And it took days for him to be pulled off the street. And I don't think he's lost his job, but it was just this sense of like, you know, the idea, and he didn't even get her age right. She was 23. She wasn't 26. And of course, there's been a, a you know big backlash in Seattle. But it was this sense, again, you know, and it comes back to this idea of impunity, right? yeah. that there's this white police officer who's vice president of the police union, yeah. who is so unconcerned. He doesn't even have the sense to like turn off his recording device as yeah. he's laughing with another and he's he still has a job as far as i know from the latest he's still pulling a paycheck even after he said that and i don't know if it's if that's gotten into outside of the seattle news or not but yeah 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I trained jujitsu with a couple of guys who were cops and, um, you know, it, things get kind of, you know, we're jujitsu jerks, you know, so we're insulting everybody constantly, personal attacks. And, um, but at a certain point, somebody said something and I was really happy for him to say, listen, you guys, I understand we're all having fun here. He, he, he like stopped the room. He said, I understand we're all having fun here, but you are creating a situation where I will not be able to train. And then we were like, what are you talking about? He goes, the appearance of me participating in a conversation that involves a discussion about joking discussions about Nazis, for example, I can't, I can't have, I can't, I can't, I'm a public figure. I cannot, I will have to leave the gym. I'm not telling you what to do, but that's my position right now. I'm hearing it. Don't think it's particularly funny, but I will have to leave. And people were like, we got you. And they straightened up. They, you know, still, 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 still jerky, you know, making fun of people's abilities and so on. But, you know, um, the other stuff, you, you know, okay, you just, you just don't do it. You just can't. You can't. You see, can't. I think each one of us need to be mm-hmm. doing that. I think we need to have more personal responsibility for mm-hmm. in the small circle that we have, the people mm-hmm. that we're interacting with saying, you know, exactly like your friend said, or that guy said, which I really mm-hmm. respect. Like you can yep. say what it is, but I'm going to need to absent myself. I was thinking I was at a, um, this was many years ago and I was working in a small town in Washington state and there was a party of all work people at somebody's house. And Mm -hmm. I walked into the kitchen and there were three white people telling a joke that involved the N word. Mm -hmm. And I opened the door just as the punchline came. And Mm -hmm. one of the women, everybody was drunk except for me because I was sober. And one of the women looks kind of bleary and is like, oh, we can't say that because Stephanie's here. And I'm like, I don't know what her reasoning was, but the idea was like, you can't say that period. Yeah, right. You you right. can't say that. Like there's, that is, and, and the idea of, and this was many years ago, but the idea of like, how do we become the person who says, I'm not going to participate in that. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to participate yeah. in that. And I think it, it, that comes full circle to the bull in the China shop, right? The idea yeah. of like, there's, if this is something that's offensive, if this is something that you wouldn't want your mother hearing, that you wouldn't mm-hmm. want recorded and put on the front of the Seattle Times, then it's best to not be participating in that and well, this drawing was, a it, line. Well, this was like, we, we found ourselves knee deep in changing mores because the phrase that caused him to give the speech was somebody goes, that guy's a fucking retard. Mm. <laughs> Didn't mean that the guy was developmentally disabled. Used retard as a pejorative. And he said, look, I love you guys. Can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. So this was like people like, well, we can't. He goes, you can use whatever you want. I'm just saying, as a guy who's got a position here in this town, I can't. I, somebody's walking by. I can't. I can't. But so people police their language, you know, police their language around police. And he's super cautious. And he's not. We all understand it. He's not. This is this is what precisely what the job calls for. So this guy who's in Seattle should not have a job. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and that's a nice story to end on. I like that. So yeah. that's that's what we've got uh, for this time. If you have any ideas for future stories or shows, or if you'd like to ask us advice, send us an email at WTF at badbossbrief.com. That's WTF at badbossbrief.com. And we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bad Boss Brief podcast with your host, Eugene S. Robinson 
and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's number 3, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, workcase situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at BadBossBrief.com. We personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at BadBossBrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of the Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa shorts so you can gain further insights into your workplace environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.